Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the PhD cast by the CBIS GPA. I'm Micah, and today I'm joined by Megan and Nate, and we're continuing our discussion with Dr. Smallwood and Dr. Kulwatno. All right, guys, so we just recently had a member of the CBIS GPA successfully um, defend Ahmad. He defended recently, and we were just wondering, um, how did you guys approach your uh, defense? And tell us a little bit about that process. Um, so what I actually did is my defense, I probably started, I guess my story is a little complicated too because COVID um, delayed my graduation, but I actually started planning for my defense, getting my dates together, getting my citations together, probably a year from August, 2020. So like August, 2019, so 12 months in advance. Um, and that's when I was supposed to graduate. Um, and as that went on so that I could kind of balance my job search with my defense is I would set myself like a writing goal for my, um, thesis and then also spend a couple hours a day and increase that time over time, looking at jobs on LinkedIn, for example, which is a great resource, um, networking with friends and family, um, kind of focusing on the career side of things. Uh, and then that writing goal, as it got closer to my defense, I would either uh, shorten it or lengthen it, depending on what I needed to do. You know that picture of a dog in a house with a building on fire? <laughs> <laughs> that was my life. <laughs> so, as much as everybody wanted to plan, you couldn't plan for a pandemic that was going to close down everything, cut your experience right before you wanted to finish everything. And that was how I was going about it. I mean, I usually like the stress and the kind of adrenaline you get for like, not procrastinating that long, but the procrastination energy. So I usually do things in small bits and then do a large portion at the very end. That's how I usually run and process things. That is true because Joppa and I shared an office and he works the weirdest hours really? <laughs> and he would sleep in the middle of the day on his desk. But for like the six months before your defense, you were like going ham with working on your resumes and your dissertation. I remember that. But you have wild working hours in general. <laughs> it's how you get things done or something like that. I'm here now. Yeah. <laughs> but the majority of the things didn't really start clicking until I would say. So again, I defended May 2020, defended March 2020 at the cusp of like the whole craziness of the pandemic. I didn't start till probably a little at the end of December, just to be after our other lab mate had defended prior. Because I mean, I was in that hype back then. And I was just kind of getting running off of that high afterwards. But yeah, I didn't start most of my writing until after that beginning part of like the beginning of 2020, getting everything prepared to figure out, okay, what I wanted to put into my thesis because I actually had a sort of a rushed PhD because of how old I was in the technical sense. So in my, in my career, I switched about halfway through my, about three years in to a different lab. So with RPI's kind of system, they didn't want you to stay too long. It put a lot of pressure for my advisor to kind of make sure I graduated on time and help also push her, I think, to some like, process of a tenure. 
just because I needed graduated students. And I was old enough, and she trusted me to be able to produce and be an independent scientist. But most of my things happened at, again, the beginning of the 2020. And in regards to job search, I actually just had the same mentality I had before, not planning ahead, because I was thinking, oh, the pandemic isn't much. I made a lot of networks and contacts. I could do this right after my, I defended. I looked at some jobs here and there and just tried to plan which ones I wanted to apply to. But I really took the whole aftermath of the craze of the pandemic really lightly. Was it the best decision? So I was running experiments still because I still had some things that we were trying to do for my second aim and clean up some stuff for my first aim. So I was juggling experiments, juggling writing my thesis, juggling where I wanted to go for a job. Uh, yeah, it was, it was fun in some sorts. I wish I took the pandemic, shut the lab shutdowns, everything more seriously. But in the end, I mean, I learned a lot since the, in the sense of what networking was, as we've been told many times what, how important that is. So most of my ideas of networking was just meeting people and getting people to know me. But after this pandemic and all this and that, to realize you actually have to continue pushing that network, continue building that network to make sure they know your name, they know they're looking for a job. But yeah, planning for the defense. I'm probably not the best person to talk to about. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like a lot of us didn't take the shutdown seriously when it first happened. Because um, I remember being like, oh, two weeks out of lab, this will be fine. That's kind of, I feel like that was almost a universal thing, at least in my peer group, where everyone was like, oh, I guess we'll just, you know, take a two-week break and then go back once this is all over. And here we are a year later, still working from home. So I think I had the same, same thought, like, I still had some experiments. I was like, and Micah actually had to finish some cleaning up some stuff from another lab. <laughs> <laughs> I always think he's like, oh yeah, two weeks, fine. I'll leave some like, things out. Things are unclean in the lab. I'll organize everything later. At a nice amount of time. He did like, not so. organize anything <laughs> later. <laughs> that is a lie. <laughs> there was no way for later. But yeah, what? I think you had me break you in so we could empty out your office. That was later. <laughs> <laughs> I got permission. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, that was something I did remember. Like the beginning of it, we were just like, yeah, fine. A few days off, I can just focus on writing. My experiments can be done later, everything. But then to find out, like, oh, hmm, there's some pieces that I can't quite finish for my thesis or things that we wanted to extend upon on my defense and my thesis for like the publications. We're like, oh, well, this, this, we can't, this, this isn't working. Were your, were your committee members flexible about the fact that you, you guys both defended during the pandemic? Like, were they flexible about the fact that you might not have been able to finish experiments or that like there were missing potential pieces? Um, just because I think I hope committees are still a little flexible now, too, that it's been a year and we kind of all lost a significant part of our research progress, I guess. I mean, on my yeah. end... Oh. oh, sorry, you go ahead, Java. On my end, they were nice. At least I got all of the base amount of data I needed 
to defend. Like my story was complete, my data was complete. They were just not quite loose ends, but things we want to explore more to increase the impact. So happily, I got everything done before this lab shut down. In regards to flexibility, I got really flexible because I actually had or got the opportunity to have more of a closed defense because I was super fearful of my bandwidth back in the day. Everybody (laughs) was like using internet right then. And I was the poor grad student paying for really cheap internet. Uh, Yeah, I can't imagine like relying on one piece of data just to define whether I defend or not. Because happily, again, with my research, everything was relatively okay. Like we can build a story around this and that. Mm-hmm. And reviewers and or past that, but we had questions when we submitted the papers where reviewers wanted like extra experiments, and we were just like, we don't even know when we go back to lab. So I can can't imagine that stress. So, because um, it is like you don't just write down everything you did during your PhD, right? Like there has to be some kind of aim to it. Um, and as I was writing it, I was realizing like, oh, I actually did do a bunch of stuff that is like related to each other. That was a good feeling. It kind of came together as I continued to write and that was like motivation to continue writing. Yeah, I think that kind of happened with me too where I didn't have quite too much branching of it, but it was still trying to figure out what binds your th- your work together. And once you start writing, start reading a bit more differently and actually building things together, you're like, oh, huh. I can make this interesting. Off the record, but when you were applying for jobs, what was the situation like for you, depending on the companies and the positions you applied for, of responsiveness of the employers to your application and any like weird situations or like anecdotes that you have for that? Because I know I definitely had some strange experiences uh, on I, along those lines. Yeah, so most of my applications were relatively blind in the sense that I just saw something on an opportunity on LinkedIn, went to the website, like the actual website, not just applying on LinkedIn, submitted my, or tailored my resume to some extent and then submitted it. And then I just got rejected from a job this morning that I applied to, I think it's September. So yes, I'm still getting rejections from jobs I applied to a while ago. So that's been my frustration. And these were, I'd say, I guess you can, I am technically qualified, just not. I, again, I don't truly know what rejected me, what caused my me not to be the person for the job, but like I got everything checkmarked. And that was my big frustration. Like, I assumed, I mean, some of them I did get rejected like day after, and it made sense, because again, I was trying to jump away and shifting my field from a scientist to a communicator or a regulatory person. Mostly companies either just didn't want to respond and either because they just kept you into the career pool where they're still trying to find candidates or they're just, you're just in full on work limbo. Yeah, I, so, okay. That's basically the experience that I had applying to industry jobs, but I kind of like learned this strange lesson as I was applying to jobs from this one company that's actually really nearby where I live now. Um, I was always told like, oh, you know, in industry, it's hard to get a job as a PhD because people are just going to hire master's people. And that's what people told me. Like that was the number one negative thing people said to me during my PhD was like, oh, why are you bothering? You're going to find a job easier with a master's, you know, don't do it. So 
I was like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, I don't believe that. So there was this one company I actually really, really wanted to work for. Um, it's a, a medium-sized startup in the Bay Area. And um, it was very related to my thesis work, something I was really passionate about. And um, I basically made a connection with one of their employees through LinkedIn. And he was, he was really kind and he was like, oh yeah, let's set up a phone call. We can talk about the company. And I was like, cool. So because it's a startup, they don't have these like programs or like almost like rolling positions that are always available. Cause it's, it's only, it's like less than a hundred people. And I was like, so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, a startup, this is really cool. So he ended up calling me back. He stayed in touch and um, he was like, yeah. So I, I, talk, I talked around and the best lead I could find for you was they said they'd be willing to take you on as a part-time intern for $15 an hour. And I was just like, I was honestly so offended yeah. just because yeah. like, I'm months from my PhD and he, to him, this was like totally normal. Really? Cause it's probably what? how the company treats, treats people who are applying with PhDs. And I was like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Like, I'm not doing that. Like I, that's unlivable A for the area. Uh, B, yeah. I have a PhD, oh, yeah. like, I don't know what to tell you. And so actually like three months after we had that call, he also left the company, but um, <laughs> that was like the craziest story I had from job searches. Cause I was like, I wouldn't even take that after a bachelor's probably. Like yeah. I was just like, this is insane. I think it like equated to like, I, I did the math and before taxes, it was like 60K a year, which is considered like close to the poverty line in San Francisco or something ridiculous like it that. Is. And I was really? just like, I like th the opinion I had of this company just like went through the floor. I was like, no, 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 absolutely crazy. But yeah, so I also had that experience, but then I would have people just never respond to me. Um, but the interesting thing was, is when I was starting to apply for these positions in law that were requiring um, PhDs, I heard back from all of them, whether it was a rejection or an interview or, you know, whatever. So I think it's very dependent on like the field you're looking in. Um, Cause I always had like a great experience with all the firms I applied to is they would all contact me very timely. The interviews would be very timely. Their decisions would be very timely. Um, and then industry, I still haven't heard back from like two of the positions I applied for. So <laughs> it was crazy. I'm still learning of the position I actually did apply to because I completely forgot of how many applications I sent out. But talking in those notes, two things that I remember now is like recruiters are probably could be your best friends because I got contacted by a few recruiters who actually got me like really nice or I had really nice conversation with them about different opportunities. Some of them didn't weren't able to get me past the beginning screening process. But at least it felt nice that people were talking to me, really trying to find a place for me. And on the second note was the salary thing. I think every industry feels it. Anybody feels it. But it's really hard to pinpoint what is your salary. And that's, that was really rough to actually consider and think. Because on one end you read all the glassdoor.com's like salary inputs. But then you're also, in my, at least in my case, I was slightly desperate for a job. So I was like, I could take anything less, but how less will I actually go? I have a PhD in biomedical engineering. This is like a standard, what people have told me. But now there are people offering me less. Some people are suggesting more. And I don't, back then I was like, well, how much am I worth now? Mm -hmm.
Yeah, it definitely kind of like messes with your self-esteem a little bit because I also lost faith in the process when I was looking at salaries for PhDs in chemistry and I was just like, and it has to do with the area you're living in too, obviously, right? Because if you're living in a place like Troy, where it's like very affordable to live, even as a grad student, if you get a job that's paying like 60K, you're like doing really well. But if you're getting a job that's paying 60K in San Francisco, like you literally cannot find somewhere to live. So it's very dependent on where you're going. But like, even in this area, I've had friends with PhDs who've been very desperate for jobs and they've taken something at like 50, 60K just cause they can't find anything. And it, 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 it kind of like hits you like, oh my God, am I really like not worth more than that? Like I went to school so I could, you know, have that ceiling on my career go up and why mm. is my pay not reflecting that um mm -hmm. and there's a balance you have to find with that for sure because would you rather be unemployed but at the same yeah. time are we gonna let people pay us below what we're worth in our education basically it's it's a really sensitive thing i think yeah i hate going through that thought cycle we're like okay i have six years of experience in very technical field so now i have to take a pay cut to get more experience just to be industry experience <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And that's just like, Yikes. I don't know what to do. No one's going to guide you. No one's really helping you in that way. People are just like, somebody's like taking advantage of you. But then you're asking yourself, are they actually taking advantage of me? Or is this where I'm at? I find that it also helps to talk to other people who are new hires out of their PhD and ask them, like my friend who took, he actually took a job in San Francisco and was getting paid like, like I said, like 68, I think. And he said, he was like, I am poor. Like it is hard for me to live here. My apartment is kind of garbage. He, he said he was living worse than he did in grad school. And my gosh. Yeah, so I, I was just like, okay, that gives me an idea. Plus I had never been to the West Coast. So I was like, that gives me an idea as to what amount of money I should be making to be comfortable. I don't need to be making like hundreds of thousands. You know what I mean? I'm a fresh out of PhD, but like at least enough where I can be like, let me start my savings or, you know, things like basic things. So I think it's good to talk to other people who've been through that experience as well and try to figure out how comfortable they are financially, which is really helpful. Well, with that ominous note of the <laughs> impending future disasters waiting for me, do you guys have any last second thoughts or things that you want to shout out before, before we get out of here today? Well, these things aren't impending for you anymore, Micah. This is why you're doing this podcast that you learn from our crazy house on fire. This is okay experiences. I think the last thing I'm going to say, which is kind of a hot topic that I ran into during my job search, was I formed my resume to make my graduate research experience like a job experience and no one ever called me out for that no one did everyone just treated it as a job experience and a lot of people think you can't do that but i did it and it was like no one batted an eye so i just want to throw that out there and say that yes you can do that i did the same thing for my undergraduate research and people were like cool um so yeah just like a little tidbit of advice there so that's gonna wrap us up for episode six of the phd cast if you listening at home are interested in any specific topics or have questions you want us to answer, please feel free to email us at cbisgpa at rpi.edu 
or message us on social media. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. With that, we hope your DNA gels have more than just primer dimers and that all your differences are significant. See ya. <laughs>